Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Unfortunately, this episode of A Pair of Bookends is with one singular bookend, me, Hannah. Today's conversation will be hosted by me because Lydia, my co-host and right arm, is unfortunately poorly at the moment and I'm sure our listeners will join us in wishing that she gets better soon so you can have her back in your ears. Welcome back, bookends, to a bonus books episode where today I'll be joined by Barley Cord as well to chat about her latest novel, Now You See Us. Now You See Us is a darkly humorous and sharply observed tale of three Filipina domestic workers who move to Singapore for better work opportunities. For Corazon, Angel and Danita, being a maid means being invisible. But when a friend is accused of murdering her employer, the three are forced to decide between staying silent and safe or raising the alarm against the continual injustice. Bali Kordaswal is a Singaporean novelist and writer raised in Japan, Russia, and the Philippines. Bali studied creative writing in the United States and has held fellowships at the University of East Anglia and Nanyang Technological University, where she also completed her PhD in South Asian diaspora writing. Her nonfiction has appeared in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar India, and Refinery29, amongst other publications. Bali is the author of five novels, including the hugely international success Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows, which is a Reese Witherspoon book club pick in 2018 and had the movie rights sold to Scott Free Productions and Film 4. Her latest novel, Now You See Us, will be published in the UK on the 25th of May by HarperCollins and I am so excited to have Bali joining me today. So Bali, welcome to Power of Bookends. Thank you, Hannah. So nice to talk to you. Yeah, so lovely to have you. Now, we always like to start our interviews by asking what you are currently reading. Okay, so I actually, I don't know if it's a current read, if I just put it down, if I just finished the last That's perfect. Page, I think it counts. Yeah. <laughs> Big Swiss by Jen Vegan. I've Big just finished Swiss. that too. Have you? Yes. <laughs> it, it, it is funny and dark and weird. It's like it's like nothing I've read recently. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm very intrigued. Cool. It's so uh, yeah. <laughs> Until the end, like it just kept getting wackier. <laughs> the last hundred pages, still really strange. You thought um, it wouldn't get any stranger and then, you know, donkeys appear. So you're like, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And I really admire the way the author just, yeah, just went for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, donkeys. Yeah. Okay, bees. Okay, you know, the dog. Like, just all this. I mean, it's not all animals, but yeah, <laughs> the subject matter. She manages to kind of, you know, balance, like, some very dark things. And if you yes. have that undercurrent of those very dark things with some really, really funny moments. Yeah. Um, and you take you take both of them seriously. It's it's amazing. It's a real feat. I think that book, it's, it's pretty. Absolutely. Pretty it's a perfect balance. And I think it's the perfect casting that they've got Jodie Comer. Uh, for the HBO adaptation. I didn't know that. I didn't Yes, know yeah, okay. HBO series. Um, and it's going to have Jodie Comer in it and Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. And I just yeah, think yeah, she's yeah. like, she's perfect. She's just got her humour is so like dark and quick. And yeah, I just think she's a perfect person for it. Yeah, a great, a great book. <laughs> I'm glad you read it too. I'm, yeah, yeah it's, it's brilliant. Share that. And it's, uh, it's coming out this month, I think. So I will include that in the show notes. Now, onto your book, Now You See Us. I enjoyed it so much and I've got so many questions that I 
when I was writing them out, I'm like, I'm definitely not going to fit all of these questions in, but <laughs> I'm going to try <laughs> because there's so much I want to talk about. But I would firstly love to start by asking um, what the inspiration was behind Now You See Us. So the inspiration, it, it goes back a long way. When I was about 15 or 16, my, my family moved to the Philippines from Singapore for my dad's job. And that was around the time when I was, I had some experiences in Singapore that made me realize that, um, you know, that there was, there was, there were certain power imbalances. Not, not that I didn't know that before, but I think I really keenly, acutely felt it and felt the injustice of certain power imbalances between, you know, when it came to to, to what the truth was about a, a particular story or a particular incident. So I'd had a, a, a sort of a run in with an authority figure at school that really, really sort of hit very deep. And we moved to the Philippines and it was a couple of years after um, a domestic worker from the Philippines had been executed in Singapore for murdering um, her employer's child and, and another domestic worker. And it was still fresh in the minds of a lot of people in the Philippines. And having grown up in Singapore, I'd only heard one side of the story, which was told to us by state media. And that was the only form of media. That was the only that, that was the only place we could get our our news from. And we were just, you know, wholeheartedly told that, you know, she was guilty. And that was it. And the investigation was closed. But in the Philippines, there was a whole different story. There was a whole different view of that investigation. Mm-hmm. And it was a time of really kind of tense diplomatic relations between two, both countries. And I felt a little bit in, in certain moments, a little bit you know, caught in, 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 the, in the middle of those two narratives. Mm-hmm. And I found it really fascinating. Like, you know, for the first time, I think at, at the age of 15, I was hearing people directly tell me, no, no, the way that the story that you heard is all wrong. Here's what really happened. That to me was really powerful, like realizing that, you know, the truth actually changes, you know, depending on who you hear it from, what people have at stake, who has power in telling that story. So that was, I suppose, the seed for it. But of course, I didn't then at 15 go, I'm going to write a novel 20 years from now. <laughs> but it always stayed with me. Um, and it, it kind of fueled my sense of injustice. And it kind of, it opened, it also opened up my eyes to a lot of things. So you know, when you, there are certain moments you have when you're young, when the, when like a door sort of opens, just a crack and, a, and some light comes in. This was one of those things for me. So then a couple of years ago, my, my husband and I relocated to Singapore after traveling, you know, and living in a number of different places. And then I, was thinking about or sort of experiencing life here and observing the lives of domestic workers and thinking about that narrative that Singapore has of being wealthy and economically progressive and highly developed and thinking, well, yes, but at what cost? And, mm-hmm. you know, upon whose backs are we building this very successful city? And Singapore is really enjoying that public image of being, you know, this wealthy, you know, success story. So it's, it's, it came back to me again, that moment when I realized that there was this, you know, there this entire other narrative. And I started thinking about how I would write a a story about a similar incident happening in, you know, 2019 or sort of present day, where there are more sources of of narratives, where you have social media, you have WhatsApp, you have ways of kind of galvanizing people to to investigate things, how that will complicate things. And that's, yeah, that's more or less the inspiration for it. That's amazing. And I already found, you know, the book, when when I read it, I found it such an eye-opening read. And I think, you know, if you don't have experience 
experience of I don't know like none of none of my family would have had like domestic workers you know we're not from like a wealthy background or anything like that so we, we wouldn't have had like people working for us I don't know anybody that had that so this is a, t- a whole new world to me and especially that it's set in Singapore I've never been so you know it's it's all brand new information to me and then when I came to the end and I read your author's note and seen that this was you know based on a true story it it really shocked me because you know you're so right it is all about perspective and when you're reading from the perspective of these workers you're like well of course it's not gonna have been them you know they're these people that are the the elite of Singapore they're just they can cover anything up that they want because they've got the power to and you know these these women they are what's the word they're they're sort of trapped by their own fear because they they can't speak out because they'll lose their jobs you know they won't have money to send back home they they won't have money for themselves and this whole like network of people will just pass on that that they're sort of not a great worker and then they won't have a job a future job so it's you know perspective is so important and I was wondering you know is is that why you chose to go down the multiple perspectives route with this story yeah there's so many ways in which women uh, domestic workers in Singapore are vulnerable Mm -hmm. so of course like you know for the sake of story there's a murder and that and that and that's kind of an extreme you know someone's accused of murder and that's a a way in which you see the justice system really not working for these women but there are day-to-day things and I really wanted to focus on that and there were so many things that I couldn't heap them on just one person. I thought that was that would be unfair. So I wanted to kind of do a bit of a cross section of the lives of different domestic workers of different ages and different perspectives as well. Like not not all of them jump so readily into uh, investigating this murder, right? Like Cora, for example, just goes just you know let it be. Um, and 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 unfortunately, that's the way most of when I spoke to domestic workers, I think most of them were just like keep your head down, don't get into trouble, like grumble amongst yourselves, but you know don't don't um. Don't rock the boat because our livelihoods are too important for that. Yeah. So yeah, that's why that's why I kind of chose. And I also chose to kind of put them in different sorts of families, different employment situations to just show how precarious it is. Like their fates depend so largely on how they are treated by their employers. Yeah. I mean, you have Mrs. Fan, who is just... (laughs) probably the most unlikable character uh, one of the most unlikable characters I have ever read (laughs) it's like like she just gets worse and worse yeah I know she really does she even writing somebody that awful (laughs) you know I think that there was a lot of vengeance in my writing of her I think I was so angry because I ran into a Mrs. Fan I would say at least five times a year in Singapore like they're not they're not uncommon and enough unfortunately they're like the woman who cuts in line in front of you and then shouts at you when you tell her actually I was next they're incredibly entitled they sort of barge into spaces or actually the week the week that I started writing this novel I had sort of I think it was my son my, my son was like three at the time or like he was younger maybe and he was going to a gymnastics class and there was another parent there was another mum who was like angry about something I don't know she, she got into you know, kind of an argument with one of the instructors and she's very well healed very you know very made up looked very sophisticated but she got so angry that she took her high heel ferragamo shoe off and threw it at the mirror and it cracked the mirror and she threw this tantrum and i was like 
that's my character. <laughs> that's that's who I want to write is. about. <laughs> there she is. Yeah. Because like, at first I was like, am I exaggerating? And then like I would meet these Mrs. Funns and I'd be like, nope, nope, not exaggerating. You are here. You are uh, there. You're everywhere around me. Yeah. Just when I think I can't be surprised anymore. You know, there's, there's real people out there like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, be hideous. Now, obviously you touched on it a little bit before, but you interviewed various domestic workers as part of your research process. Could you tell us a bit more about that research process and you know I'm interested was there anything that particularly shook you about these interviews mm. so I actually I created the three characters before interviewing the domestic workers because I wanted character to come first I didn't want kind of circumstance to be yeah. the basis of the characters so I really thought you know like who is this person if you removed everything if you removed the poverty if you remove the you know the circumstances the the work that they do who are they at the core of who they are and then once I kind of sketched them out I think it was sort of in maybe in the first sort of 25% of the first draft was when I realized, okay, I'm running out of steam a little bit. I need to talk to women to kind of get a sense of the the, the minutia and the details and the a bit a bit more of context as well of what their lives are like in the Philippines. And that was what I focused on quite a bit actually. Or that that was what, you know, came up quite naturally in conversation was like, you know, I didn't I didn't want to shine a direct light on what's it like? We would like what what's what's your day to day, what's your timetable, you know, in your employer's home. I, I because I just, you know, I just wanted to chat with them as people and wanted to find out like what what was your childhood like? Like what was, you know, what's what's like what's your favorite thing to do with your family when you go back? And those things, those conversations were really revealing. Like, you know, they would yeah, they shared just it was a little side anecdote about their lives, the things that they missed, the things that they sacrificed, but also like the things that they enjoyed in Singapore, like the, the independence that they had, the financial independence in particular. So the fact that they their families kind of put them on a pedestal because they were overseas and they were providing for their families and the homes that they had built as well. These women, some of these women were, I think there was one woman I talked to who's only, I think she's probably in her mid-30s. She has built the most gorgeous house in her province in the Philippines with the wages she makes here because then a of scale. So what you're earning in Singapore dollars, you know, actually um, goes a very long way in wow. a, a village in the Philippines. So she just showed me, she kind of showed me like what, where she grew up and it was very modest little um, home. And then she showed me like the, you know, the bricks and mortar house is really nice. This house that she basically designed for her and her wow. son to live in one day. It was, it was stuff like that that was really interesting. I think what was most heartbreaking and, and, and really very simple um, was that I would ask each of them, you know, what, what do you want people to know about? you you know if you there's one thing that you wanted um people to to know and almost all of them said some variation of we're human beings too which was very telling yeah um, because i think there's been so many situations where they've been dismissed and dehumanized mm -hmm. either by individual employers society singapore society or also just by the the bureaucracy that that really doesn't favor them yeah and you definitely get a sense of that in your book that that really comes through and i think it's so important that like you were saying you spoke to them about what their lives were like back home and what their lives were like outside of their work and I think that was probably some of the most unsettling and infuriating moments in the book were when their employers were kind of horrified at the fact not horrified but how dare you have your own agency and your own privacy yeah. and you don't have a life outside of here and it's the whole like you know they have their, their only they have one day off a week but they have a curfew didn't Donita had a curfew a 7pm curfew yeah. and you know having their phone confiscated and oh and there was another moment with 
with Mrs. Fan where she says to Denisa, like, why have you closed the door? And she just kind of shows her underwear on the bed and then she scurries yeah. away. But it's just moments like that where it's like, no, you're not your own person. Like you, it's sort of like you belong to me. And it's, that's the really unsettling thing. And I, you know, I listen to podcasts that you've done and somebody saying it sounds quite like dystopian yeah. and it, it does, it does sound quite dystopian to an extent. I mean, obviously that's the reality of it, but it is dystopian in the sense of like this whole surveillance thing and you know there's a, a moment in the book where somebody has i'm trying not to give any spoilers but the there's a camera put in somebody's room were there any of those more unsettling moments were any of those based on truth yeah i mean i actually probably didn't include a lot of the really miserable or the the, the, the details of misery that that i have read that i have heard about directly from domestic workers like you know they are there there have been made abuse cases in the news and those are usually they're, they're so extreme they're like physical violence towards mm-hmm. these domestic workers like women getting burned or women getting you know beaten and things like that they're they're so awful and they do get those people the, the people who perpetrate those things they do get jailed they do get it does go to court but it's like they're so extreme yeah. that like of course they have to and then people everyone else goes oh see that's that's made abuse what i'm doing isn't like me yelling at, you know, my domestic worker or making her work, you know, 24 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not like that. Those things just like definitely are. So it's difficult. It's really like it's it's almost like we we hold up these extreme examples of maltreatment as what not to do. And then we really allow a very broad spectrum of other things. So, for example, back to Mrs. Fan, <laughs> it was it was actually unrealistic of me to write that she someone like Mrs. Fan would never allow Donita to have her own room like an employer like that would never like should also never allow days off like I had to I had to just kind of give in and let her give Donita one it was one day off every two weeks I had to because Donita had to leave the house and had to have her romance with Sanjeev and had to investigate and stuff but an employee like Mrs. Fan very unlikely would give any days off to her employee and that would technically be allowed and then also like you know just the the space that she would give the domestic worker as well I heard from a number of people not just domestic workers but friends of mine who you know who, who have gone through the agencies and or who know people who have domestic workers themselves, that some people have their domestic workers sleep under the dining table. So that's her room, which is, I mean, it was it was just hard to picture. It was hard, yeah. and like, even if there's a spare room available, it's like, no, that's not where, that, that, she doesn't deserve that. She doesn't get that. Um, so this, yeah, this real kind of lack of dignity and this, the fact that all of this is sort of allowed, the fact that all of this is really un- not put under that umbrella of abuse at all. You know, yeah. it's just kind of, yeah. I did say before that I didn't have experience with domestic workers or anything, but I guess that I I worked as an au pair for an Italian family. I went over to Italy when I was 19 and did that for about three months. And I think that they they, they were a very rich family, but they they treated me pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the grandma of the family once screamed at me in Italian because I'd forgotten oh. to give the child his snack because he'd, he was napping at the time. So because I hadn't woken him up for his snack, you know, I was, she was screaming at me and calling me names in Italian and I could understand little of it but I knew I was in trouble and it's like you know that was frightening for me so and that was just the smallest it's, it's really the smallest scale in comparison to what these women have experienced you know I yeah. I found that difficult to deal with and that was one encounter you know having that the, the level of abuse that they receive on a day-to-day like is just unimaginable and I think you know the way that you explored sort of the the class divide in Singapore and and the kind of intersection of like wealth and privilege was just really well explored and I and I have noted down a couple of quotes that I just wanted to read out to give our listeners a bit of a taste for the book so you said they behave like their feet have never touched the ground 
And there was another section that says, these things don't seem separate for wealthy people, friendship, loyalty, transactions, debts. Can you just talk about those quotes and and what the exploration of those themes of wealth and privilege meant to you? Yeah, so for, for both of those, I think the, the first one is um, something that Cora says, I believe. Yeah. She's talking about Elizabeth's daughters and she's she's wary of wealthy people um, and their children in Singapore, but and also in, in, in her experience of wealthy people in the Philippines. And that wealth gap in the Philippines is mm-hmm. is much larger. It's really, really noticed like the, you know, the, the gap between poor and rich. And it's, it, it is, it's like you're on different planets really. So the fact that, yeah, the, 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 when she, she talks about Mam Elizabeth's daughters, they're perfectly nice. They're not unkind yeah. to her, but they do, they, they behave as if, you know, their, their feet have never touched the ground. They, you know, there's, there's this ease to their lives. Lives. There's this sense that they don't really have to work very hard for what they what they have, and then they probably don't realize that, you know, because and, and Cora, someone who's been up to her elbows in work and just you know in the the daily grind of making money or sending money home to her family or mm-hmm. taking care of her nephew, so she she starts off resenting these girls mm-hmm. just just ever so slightly, you know, even though they're, they're and then of course one of them turns out to be quite unkind to her, yeah. Um, and, and and so it's kind of like her sus- suspicions are confirmed a little bit. But yeah, she 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 keeps them at an arm's length uh, because she she knows she knows that their feet have never touched the ground and that they they're just never going to to really be on the same plane, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and there were so many awful employers throughout the book, and you know, like the worst case scenarios of of these elite people taking advantage of their domestic workers. But then you have a character like uh, Mam Elizabeth, and I I really liked her character, but I can totally see you know how although she's very well meaning she doesn't kind of have a clear sense of, of boundaries that, that Cora needs and ends up having to ask for why was it important to you to have this sort of antithesis character to all of the other awful employers <laughs> I guess I yeah I definitely wanted to show that range yeah. um, but to also show that like it's tricky you know it's tricky even if you if, if you're a great employer you can overstep those bounds and you can you can make someone very uncomfortable and sometimes it is the domestic worker who says no no we need boundaries like I want to be treated with respect but I don't want to sit at the table with you I don't want to hear you you know confide things to me like there needs to be a line yeah Mam Elizabeth just doesn't understand that and actually makes things very uncomfortable for Cora it was actually I think it was around the time when I was writing Mam Elizabeth's character and and her sort of and planning her arc a little bit when I watched a play in Singapore and now I'm it, the name is escaping me but it was quite it was by quite like a young sort of up-and-coming um, playwright who wrote about the dynamic between a, a woman, a middle-aged woman, and her father, who employ uh, a domestic worker to to take care of the father because he's you know, he's got some illness or something, and the woman is much stricter, and you know she does she's just a bit like Mrs. Fan. She sort of you know questions the domestic worker, puts cameras everywhere, and the father is more kind of easygoing. He's like ah whatever, you know. He sort of wants to build a relationship with the domestic worker, and there was a moment I think it was something where the like by doctor's orders he wasn't supposed to eat something like he wasn't supposed to eat meat or something and when his daughter was out of the house he kind of you know convinced the the domestic worker to go out and buy him something like a minced pork dish and and she went out and bought it for him and she comes back and then you know his daughter comes home she really she looks in the trash she sees that there's you know that that he's had some meat to eat she flips out but she doesn't necessarily get as angry at her father as she does at the domestic worker like she gets annoyed with him but she's really upset because she's like what did i tell you i told you like even if he says that you should go and buy you shouldn't and it was really and there were other moments like that where 
he would be like, oh, come on, you know, I do this for me. Come on. And she would have to do it. And then she would get into trouble for it. And afterwards, I was talking to the friend that I went to see the play with. And, and she was she was so she was like, you know, it, it was it was really hard to watch that woman treat the domestic workers so badly. And I said, yeah, I, I got that. But I found it really hard to watch that father, <laughs> that man treat the domestic worker like his accomplice and use his mm-hmm. power in that way. It was benevolent. It was very friendly, but it really pissed me off. Like, it really yeah. made me angry yeah. that he was yeah. going, come on, you can do it. Like, this, there, there, there's this power that you're exerting on this person. Mm-hmm. They have to do it, and then they get into trouble. They get into trouble either way, Yeah, either with you or with your daughter. You know, like, mm-hmm. it, it was, I found that very unfair, and I found that really fascinating. And it's interesting, no one else felt that way. Everyone else I talked to about that play, you know, they'd be like, oh, God, she was so awful. And I'd be like, no, the dad was awful, too. Yeah. The dad also, he did some pretty, something, something to make her very uncomfortable and something to make her uh, to, to get her into trouble yeah you know and yeah also in a compromising position doesn't it and it's yeah. it was similar with mr fan who has his own issues and he he pretty much kind of stays out of, yeah. of most things to do with with donita and mrs fan is the main person that deals with donita but he does say to her she, you know she asks his permission to leave the house and he says mm-hmm. like yeah go out whatever and then when she comes back mrs fan then says right you're never going out again yeah even yeah. though she'd asked permission <laughs> she didn't ask permission but she still got in trouble so she'd yeah. you know she'd she'd got that permission which she shouldn't have to in the first place but here we are and he's complicit because he doesn't step in does yeah he? like his yeah. wife treats his maid terribly and he doesn't say okay he's, that's enough which is just as bad right, really yeah. yeah yeah i think yeah. so yeah. yeah i'm glad you see it that way <laughs> <laughs> no so i feel very sorry for him <laughs> it's infuriating now one thing i also really wanted to talk about is the social media in the book <laughs> and the the Facebook groups, the mummy groups, and the sort of gossiping on these pages about the maids and um, you know affecting them from getting future jobs or saying you know my my maid has dared to ask to go back to the Philippines because her father's died. She's only been here a week. How dare she? Any advice? And it's just these that we like you were saying before, these really entitled women just using these platforms to just cry over something so insignificant. And, you know, there is there was that side of it, the negative side of social media, but then there's also later on as the narrative progresses, the sort of power of social media for like positive social change. And I was really curious what your own feelings are towards social media and how that sort of shaped the way you wrote Now You See Us. Yeah. No, I feel that way about social media like I feel like I I don't buy it so much when or I, I don't agree so much when people say, oh, you know, the world was better without social media. I tend, I, I mean, the people who say that tend to come from places where they had more freedom of speech and they <laughs> yeah. had, you know, or they, they, they've had more of a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, for us in Singapore, like, yeah, there's, it, there's, there's bad things about it, sure. But the ways in which certain views have been able to be platformed and certain people have been platformed has been really powerful. Like, mm-hmm. I've been able to speak quite freely about about issues regarding, like, race and mis- misogyny and things like that. That, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, or maybe more than that, you know, tw- 20 years ago, you'd have to write a letter to the state-run media <laughs> who would never publish it, you know? So there were people controlling that narrative yeah. um, who don't anymore. And, and also just the community building as well through social media, the way you can sort of find your people through social media. 
um, I think is really wonderful. And so I, I appreciate it for that. I appreciate it in particularly in places where the, the dominant narrative is controlled by the state and then places where, you know, very conservative values are kind of kind of override everything else. You do have alternative voices then, which is very exciting. And you do have conversations that are really valuable in community building. Definitely. Of course, on the other side of that, and there's also lots of misinformation. There's also everyone's an expert. <laughs> yeah. And you have to deal with that. <laughs> and I do hope that we, we become more more literate yeah. so that we can, you know, we can kind of harness the, the good of social media. Yeah. But I think for domestic workers, it's been a godsend. I think social media has been wonderful for them. Not so much politically, not so much in kind of, you know, spreading the message of like we're being um, mistreated, although that kind of thing has happened. But just like in terms of just having like a connection to the outside world, mm-hmm. when you think about how like domestic workers like in Singapore or, you know, in this part of the world 25 years ago, like they, just, they there would be nothing to occupy because they wouldn't be allowed to watch TV. Mm. It wouldn't be, you know, the, the, like there was just nothing to entertain them like they'd maybe read. They wouldn't be allowed to talk to their families. Like, you know, it'd be expensive to make a long distance call. So they'd write letters to their to home, like, and like the ones with children, you know, would only like get updates about their children every couple of months or weeks or whatever. Mm. And the fact that like, yeah, they can, they can now like be on the phone with their families all day if they want to while they're cooking or they're doing things. The fact that like I know of a few who like raise their children from abroad basically like they sit down every day that when they're done with their work they sit down every day in front of their ipad and they go okay like and they zoom with their kids and go okay what's your homework you know their kids back home in the philippines and they say okay i'm gonna talk you through these these math problems or whatever it is i think i mean it's it's just it's connected people so much more it's made the world so much smaller which is i think i think it's been wonderful for domestic workers who otherwise are just so cut off and so isolated definitely yeah i think also the community building again amongst them you know the the groups, the the ways in which they can, there, there's a lot of solidarity building, I think, on on their groups. Actually, it was interesting because the Facebook groups and the Facebook posts that you brought up, they're not, they're they're very much based on actual Facebook posts. Of course. I'd expect yeah. nothing less. <laughs> they were hardly fictionalized. In fact, I sometimes had to go into Facebook and go into those groups and just make sure that I wasn't using the person's exact name or <laughs> their exact words because they were they were almost word for word what I had seen on some of those groups. Um, I joined I joined a group. It was a it was like a mum's kind of like Facebook group when I when my, my son was really young and yeah some of the things that people would post were just ridiculous and then also what was interesting though is that I think social media empowers these women because they can be a bit more anonymous mm-hmm. and they can say what they want and they can also kind of like see what other people are thinking and kind of you know group them you know, kind of gang up a little bit yeah so there's this one Facebook post that I saw and it was one I was on one of the employment pages like you know for, for employers looking for domestic workers this woman <laughs> I, just, like, I thought it was sad Tire. I was like, so this is performance art. Like, this cannot be real. There's this woman who wrote, I'm looking for a domestic worker. These are my requirements. Like, that's perfectly normal. You know, like I want, you know, these, these are the sorts of the character traits that I want and all that. But she took it to this new level where she said, these are the things, these are the skills that I expect you to master in the first 90 days. And then she listed out day one to five, memorize all bus routes, you know, like <laughs> children's spelling lists, you know, buy the following things. Day six to eight, do this. I mean, she did this from day one um, to day 90 and she posted it like you know these are these are things that if you think that you can you can do all these things then you can join our family and you can work for us and the the responses were hilarious from domestic workers one of them said hi i'd love to work for you let me get my phd first <laughs> which i love <laughs> 
And it just went on from there. She just went on from all these domestic workers. Like, who do you think you are? Oh, I'm so glad that people spoke against that. Like, that is... That is horrendous. That was horrendous. Yeah, that I was pretty look, bad. I, I, and, and is this woman, you know, capable of doing these things herself? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't we give her a 90-day schedule yeah. and that's going to fall away? The absolute audacity. Yeah, just what I, I think. You can't tell me something yeah. worse. Yeah. And it was it was really nice to see, like, that so many people... And it was. It was just... It was domestic workers. You know, it was mm-hmm. just saying this, this is... And then uh, there were a few who were saying, look, those are her requirements. Why are you, you know, why are you you judging her for it? <laughs> but it was like, no, they're, no, they're pretty No, it comes bad. to something when you've got to be like, no, this is too much yeah. now. You're expecting far too much. There are other conversations that happen in Singapore. You know, they start with, like, the news... They'll start with, like, a news item. Like, I think a couple of years ago, there was... It shouldn't even be a controversy. It's so silly. Uh, a domestic worker who worked for a family and they they brought her to an exclusive country club uh, for lunch. Like they, they were all having lunch and they brought her uh, along and the country club refused to serve her. They said, we know she's your maid. So she's we've like, you know, she has to wait outside. And they said, but we've signed her in as a guest and she's our guest. And they said, no, she's not allowed here. And that there really shouldn't be any discussion about that. There really shouldn't be any sort of like, oh, this is a debatable topic. But it was on social media, like some people saying, oh, yeah, you know, that's those are the rules of the country club. They get to decide and you know they need to have standards. And other people saying, you know, that's wrong. And it was there have been a few incidents like that. Recently, I think there's a celebrity who said on record that she has a dress code for her maid and she, you know, she doesn't allow spaghetti straps or shorts in the house um, for her maid. And I mean, I went I went on social media to see what the reactions were and they were largely, largely in support of that. And anyone who said, well, you know, it's about respecting your employee and, you know, she can wear whatever she wants. It's fine. Anyone who said that was shot down and was told, oh, you know, you don't know because, you know, she hasn't seduced your husband yet. Like there's these silly myths mm-hmm. that came out. Of these conversations so i would say like even that contributed to the research for this yeah and i think you you got a sense of that with uh donita because she you know is is a younger character and she dresses in a very different way to the other maids and mm-hmm. um you know the maids do try and like advise her and say you know like be careful because you know mm-hmm. the that your employer will kind of target you for that and will have this assumption that you're going to seduce their husbands and it's just yeah. it's so awful and I and I loved reading about her because she was she was just kind of a no fuck you I'm gonna wear what I want to wear like <laughs> yeah and she she was really fearless and yeah. that was really refreshing to read and you know she was unapologetic um in the way that she dressed and she could have actually you know allowed Mrs Fan to like Mrs Fan was a really cruel abusive woman you know and she could have done some like serious damage to Donita's like self-esteem and her identity yeah. but Donita somehow takes it all in a stride and she's like like <laughs> I'm not gonna let this bring me down and and I love that about her I would love to know for my own curiosity did you have a favorite character <laughs> i would say it was between donita and Cora. i liked writing angel's parts as well Ange- angel's narrative helped me to sort of you know slow down the, the story a little bit and focus on 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 grief and, and sadness and the sorts of things that you know women sort of have to keep inside all work in their employers homes but donita was so much fun to write like her and like the the, the joy that she got out of you know her relationship with sanjeev was just so much Yes. fun as well like there was a lot of yeah I, I really wanted to focus on you know a character that in a lot of people's eyes would be considered as having as being really petulant and having like an attitude problem but in her eyes and in and hopefully in the in the eyes of the reader she's just she's doing her thing she's you know she's been she's, matched she's just been mismatched with like the worst employer she's amazing 
Yeah, why do you think so? No, I, I mean, so. I will say the the sort of the policing of bodies mm-hmm. as well is something that I, I wanted to be quite explicit about with Donita, as well as with Angel, because it comes from, it stems from like a, a really sort of, I don't know, a societal thing, a bias, this idea that these women shouldn't have agency or autonomy mm-hmm. or any sort of sexuality, right? Because then they'll be distracted from their work. Yeah. And we are supposed to own them. So it comes from like people's individual attitudes, but then it also comes from like the official language around and like the, the frameworks around hiring a domestic worker here. Because mm-hmm. you have to send them for a six monthly checkup, a health checkup. And if they're pregnant, they get sent home. Like they they immediately kick out, they're kicked out of the country. That's um, so they're not allowed to get pregnant. So there's a lot of fear around that. Like, oh, what if she, you know, she pulls around, she gets pregnant and then I'm out of, you know, a domestic worker. And then, you know, I, I, I don't have someone taking care of my kids or whatever it is. And then there's just a lot that like, the domestic worker is just sort of tied to your identity in so many ways like you know her passport is connected to your passport her identity like everything like her insurance is connected to your name in some way mm-hmm. like if she goes out you know and, and and i don't know she gets stopped for something it's like you know she has to pull out her id it, it, it she does have to say you know oh i'm i'm I work for so-and-so. Like, I'm not here as an individual. <laughs> I'm not here. I live in someone's home and I'm kind of under their care, except I'm not really. Yeah, it's it's so upsetting, you know, the, the fact that they're not allowed any agency and any, you know, they're expected to not have this independence and like their body isn't their own and their identity isn't their own. It's all wrapped up in the fact that they are a domestic worker and they belong to this family. And I think that's why it was so important and, and powerful in a sense that you had uh, Donito and Sanjeev's relationship you know she need you needed a character to have this sexual and romantic relationship because it's as though these people these this these elite people don't perceive domestic workers in that way and they don't think they should be allowed those kinds of things but they're real they're real human beings yeah. <laughs> who deserve love and connection and community and yeah. you're you think you you have the right to restrict them from that and it's just it's wrong on so many levels and whilst there are you know dark topics that you explore in the book I think your balance as we were talking about before with Jen Began with Big Swiss you're also amazing at finding that balance with the light and the dark and finding the humour you know Donita has some really awful moments with her employer but then these moments with Sanjeev are just so funny you know she's she's thinking about like licking his body up and down and he's just telling her about the sights of Singapore and she's like shut up take me home <laughs> yeah and she's restricted right yeah. she only has so much time so she's like she's do this or not. <laughs> it's it funny was... I was interviewed um on, oh sorry <laughs> no no go on no go for it <laughs> I was interviewed by a radio host here in, in Singapore who said I want to talk about Sanjeev because he's quite hot <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then my mom listened to that interview, and she was like, "You know, Sanjeev is quite hot." <laughs> oh, okay, you yes, Molly's mom. Yeah, I love it. He he is. Yeah, he definitely comes across that way. <laughs> but I also think he was just kind of like in his own little world. Like he was just like yeah. you know wanting to show her this, and he was you know all very well meaning like, "Oh, let's take." You've had all these people messaging you about your body, so I'm going to try and be different. And she's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> Yeah. I know he's like well, I'm respecting you she's like I want respect okay we've had that now let's have sex 
I love it. <laughs> now, listeners, if it isn't already obvious, I am a big fan of Now You See Us and I highly recommend that you pick up a copy. I'm going to link, uh, pop a link in the show notes so you can buy yourselves a copy. Um, it's out on the 25th of May. It's published by HarperCollins. And as I've seen the time, I'm realising I have to let Bali go and I'm very sad about it because I've loved this conversation and your book is, you know, without using any fancy literary terminology, your book is amazing and I am obsessed. <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank you so much for writing it and and thank you so much for, for joining me today. I've really loved talking to you, so thank you. Thank you.